If you want to go ahead and turn to John chapter 4, verse 24, we'll read it in a moment. Um, it's, it's quite familiar scripture, but uh, uh, before I get to that, I just want to uh, uh, speak for just a moment, and then we'll read the uh, the scripture um, today. Though I want to be, I want to bring a sermon. I want to bring the word on this: the act of of worship, uh, the act of of worship. And I'm thankful for worship. I'm thankful for the truth of who God is, and and that He is worthy to be praised. But I I'm thankful that. As I've read and studied and as God has revealed over time in my life, there is more to worship than, than what we commonly think. Yeah. Man. So today people will cheer, they'll scream, they'll pump their fists, raise their hands and celebrate. Joy will fill many homes today because today's the Super Bowl. Right? Many people, you know, Cincinnati's not that far off, you know, and but Los Angeles is very far away away. But people love Sports, they love the Super Bowl. There's going to be great excitement, great thrill in, in, in our land and everything where people are going to watch and, and celebrate that. And, and, and we see that in all kinds of sports, right? Me and Tara, we went to a, a Lady Vols game uh, earlier this week uh, as part of our Valentine's Day. And, and we celebrated and other people were celebrating and they were excited. And it doesn't matter to what sporting events you go to, if it's if it's high school basketball and, and you're, you know, you're excited and you're getting all, all, all up and in, in, in everything about, you know, your person, your cousin, your niece, your son, your daughter, your brother, whatever it is, scored that goal. Or maybe it's, you know, college or professional. We love, love sports. And I've heard this statement made multiple times by other pastors or deacons or teachers or, or lay leaders or other people in the church that if we can get that excited over games and sporting events, then we should be just as excited in our churches. And this there, you know, we're often referencing worship. That's what we're speaking of, worship in our understanding of it. But are those actions in themselves that the fans represent, are they really a good representation of what true worship, the biblical worship, is that God has told us about? Well, the past several weeks, as we've had to miss multiple services and, and stuff, I, I've studied and, and, and looked and read, and, and worship has just been on my heart greatly to understand it better, to know more what it is that God desires from His worship of, of His people, what true worship looks like. Blessing, Lord. I sought to better understand the act of worship because for something that's mentioned over 8,000 times in Scripture, the word worship is used 8,639 times in Scripture, we often put very little emphasis on really understanding what it means to worship God. Right. We have our understanding and our ideas, but what is scriptural, biblical worship? Lord. I'll start by telling you what it's not. Let's eliminate some of the things that we commonly associate or think this is what worship is. Worship in and of itself is not singing. Right. It's not a strong emotional feeling. It's not purely giving thanks for some blessing. It's not owned by a traditional or a modern church. It's not dependent upon your age or how long you've been in church. It's not in a hymnal. It's not on a screen. It's not the volume of the music or the beauty of the singing. These things, many of them have associations with worship and can play a part in our worship, but they in themselves are not worship. 
And if we limit our understanding of worship to these things, then we fail to truly worship God in the way that scripturally and biblically He desires to be worshipped. And I pray that it is your desire, like it is my desire, to worship God effectively, scripturally, biblically, like He commands us to worship Him. We talk a lot about worship in our modern day church, that, that how the importance of worship and, and how we should worship, but let us understand what worship is. So let's read John chapter 4, verse 24. In this it says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus in this scripture is talking to a woman about worship. This woman is talking about how worship can only happen in certain places and yada yada and, and things like that. Like many times we constrain worship to what it is and what it looks like. But God tells him, God tells her, he says, and before this, right before this, he says, the true believers are coming. The time of true worship is coming. And then he goes into this that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So he gives two things that tell us what biblical worship of God is. We must worship in spirit and in truth. But what do those entail? What is God instructing us with those? So let's start with spirit. Okay? What does spirit mean? I tell you to worship in spirit if I if I got up and said let's worship in spirit this morning. What would you do? What would you think? How would you view worship? If I messaged to the group and said, we're going to worship in the Spirit this morning, we'd all probably come with a little bit different understanding or idea or opinion of what worship was going to look like that day. For some, we think well, there's going to be a lot of shouting today. There's going to be a lot of praise. And maybe there's going to be running the pews. And maybe people are going to get excited. For others, it may be just a, a calm presence and uh, that, that you've used spirit. Where maybe people are, are in prayer and they're raising their hands. We have a different understanding of what it means to worship in this spirit. But Scripture gives us detail into what this looks like. Ephesians 5, 18-21 says this. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. This is Ephesians 5, 18-21. So it says, being of spirit, being filled of the spirit, these are some of the things that should come of that. So let's follow our train of thought. If we want to worship God, we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now Ephesians here is telling us how to be of the spirit. And there's three key things that it lays out. First it says, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. Now, the singing and the making music part, that's what we more often than not associate with worship. When we say we're coming into worship, most of us are going to say we're thinking we're coming in to sing. But that's not the key part of that, that area, of that, of that scripture. It's from your heart to the Lord. Amen. The singing and the making music is important. It has a place. But the thing that we want to put the emphasis on is from your 
heart. What does it mean to do anything from your heart? We're here right at Valentine's Day tomorrow. If you men didn't know that, I gave you 24 hours. You're welcome. It is. Um, And don't act surprised because then you told on yourself. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day. And Valentine's Day, many of us, men or women, with our spouse, with our, our beloved, whether it be from a married to or boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever it is, we oftentimes put all of our heart into finding the right gift, making the right gift, planning the right evening, the perfect evening, or the, the perfect weekend, or whatever it may be, to show this person how much we love them. We pull it from our heart. Those actions, those decisions, the things that we do, they come from our heart. Maybe you have a job where you just love and you, you believe in what you're doing. You you believe that in, in the efforts that you're putting in. Maybe you work in some place where, where you just really believe in, in what you're trying to do there. And every day you go into work and you pour out your whole heart into your job. Many of us with our families, we love our families and, and we cherish them. And, and every day we wake up and we're like, I want you everything from my heart to the fullest extent that I can to show them I love them, to show them somebody cares and to make sure they have a better life. Some of us might have hobbies that, that just mean the world to us. We love that thing that we get away and do one, a couple of times a week. And every time we do it, we pour all of our heart into it. We believe in it. We love it. I think a simple understanding of what it means to take this, whatever it is, the music or whatever it may be, from your heart is fully believing in something. Whatever that something is. Maybe it's you believe in the words of that song. Or you believe in that scripture you're reading. Or you believe in your job. Or you believe in your family. Or you believe in your, your hobby so much that it's a good thing for you. You believe in something so much in such a way that it creates a fierce, a fierce passion When doing that something. So once again, fully believing in something in such a way that it creates fierce passion when doing that something. That's what it means to have to sing or to do or to act from your heart. It's you're believing in something so much in your heart that the evidence of that comes out with this fierce passion as you do that thing. What is it that you do that's from your heart. We all have something. Uh, we all have something that we're so passionate about that you. when people watch you, they're like, man, when you're at work, you're just kind of doing this. But man, when I see you on the bowling alley, I, you're pouring your heart into it. Or man, when you're doing this thing at work, you know, you're just lackadaisical about it. But when you're at home, I, I see how much you love your family. I see how much you care about them. I see how much you believe in what it means to be a father or to be a mother or to be a spouse. I see that come out of you. We can have that same testimony in our walk with Christ as well. Maybe they see us work and they know we're just doing the work and we're coming, we put our effort in and we go home. But they're like, man, when you talk about God, when you sing that song, when it comes on the radio, when we're riding in the car and or maybe you're at lunch and you're reading your Bible, I can see something different about you. That's worship from the heart. Amen. Through the Spirit. And we need to have that evidence within us, in our actions, on how we act with it. Maybe it's ministry, a ministry that we're involved with, or maybe it's the songs that we sing, or the testimonies that we bring, the lessons that we teach, the sermons that we preach. Whatever it is that we bring or that we participate in, we need to show evidence 
And it's from the heart. Scripture says this in John 15, 8. It said, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So here we have the two Gospels. Talking about it with John, talking about spirit and truth. And we go to Ephesians. Paul's talking about, about having this, this uh, singing and making music and doing these things from the heart. We jump back and Matthew's talking about it too. And he says, these people, they, they talk about me. They say these things. They honor me with their lips and with their words. And, but it's only lip service because their hearts are far from me. Amen. Blessing, Lord. And we need to be mindful of that. Because I'm going to be honest, if we come in and we sing our songs and we just sing the songs because we're reading them off the page, but we don't believe in it from our heart, yeah. that's not worship. That's right. Amen. And that's the Red Book, that's newer songs, that's whatever. If we don't believe it from our heart and sing it like we believe it, then it's not worship. It's just lip service. Amen. It must come from the <clears throat> The heart. If we are to worship God in spirit and in truth, that first of all, it must come from your heart. If it's singing, if it's testifying, if it's teaching, if it's service in your community, if it's living your daily life with your family, worship must come from your heart. But then it goes on and it it says, giving thanks always for everything. Now, I'm not an English major by any means, okay? But this sentence would have made sense if he just said, giving thanks always. That scripture verbatim has been used in scripture. Or saying, giving thanks for all things. That scripture has been used. But the writer here, Paul, as he writes this scripture, decided to say, giving thanks always for everything. English, just a simple way of saying that, he doubled down on the same sentiment. Always in everything. Amen. Do you ever find yourself and find your thankfulness and gratitude being restricted to the things that you've asked for yeah. or that you wanted? That you were thankful when the prayer was answered, but when other things went the other way, your gratitude wasn't as, as evident. Let me give an example that we all probably can relate with. Maybe it was us, maybe it was a child or, or something that we had a body gift for. And man, this kid, his birthday was coming up. And he asked for a new game system, or maybe it was an iPhone or something like that, and wanted it terribly. And he goes and he sits down with his with his presents at his party, and he begins to open them. And he opens up a, a, the gift from his parents or whatever it is, who he thought was going to give him this, this nice gift. He opens it up, and, and there's not new pairs of socks and some underwear, maybe some pants. It wasn't what he was expecting. It was new. His parents had put put financial gain, their financial gain into purchasing, purchasing this. They'd put their time into going and buying it. They'd put their effort and their love into choosing these things for their, their child, just for the child when, when prompted to, to give a reply, to begrudgingly say thanks, but his face obviously made it clear that he wasn't too thankful for what he had just received. We, in our relationship with God, have that same response. Many times. We ask something of God. The promotion to give us access to finer things in life. Maybe it was something that we really, really needed. A healing or some prayer to be answered. And 
And he moved in, in some areas. He moved in some ways, but it wasn't exactly what we were seeking. And then maybe somebody gets up and sings about praising the Lord, or I'll give a sermon about giving thanks to God, or how we should be grateful. And, and you go through and you say, well, I guess I was thankful for that. It wasn't what I wanted, but I guess it was, it was good for me. A begrudging thanks to God, but it's not really true, true gratitude. Here's the hard saying in this. Be thankful always for everything. There are no caveats to that. There are no but this or exceptions or alternatives. Always for everything. Even the bad things. Even the awful things. That we are supposed to be thankful to God for this moment, for this day, for this time. And I'm not I'm gonna stand up here and tell you it's a whole lot easier for me to say this than for me to get down there and do that. It is. It's difficult to when the hardship comes and the hurt comes to give thanks to God for those things, to be thankful that He is still alive, that He is still present, that He is still able, that He is still working. It's hard to say those things in the midst of the driest, most disappointing, frustrating, hardest points you've been in your life. But every always in everything means always in everything. Yeah. Amen. Blessing, Lord. And if we're talking about the hard sayings of Paul, this has to be one of them. One of the hardest ones. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you I do this. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that, that this is just second nature to me. I'm not going to tell you that every day that I wake up and I face some hardship, I stub my toe and everything that I thank God for it. I don't. But it's what we should strive to do as we seek to be living through the Spirit, to worship God through the Spirit. Worshiping Him means thanking Him for everything. Always. And I'm not going to sit up here and give examples to you about what that looks like. You know what that looks like. You know what your darkest moment looked like. You know where you were at when nobody else knew what was going on. You know what you were facing when nobody else, when everybody thought you were doing okay. When you thought you were alone and you felt like nobody else cared. You know that. But we must be thankful that God is even there then. Find the reason to rejoice in that place. If that reason to rejoice is just the fact that God is still sitting on the throne. Making intercessions for you and me. That is reason to rejoice. Amen. Always in everything. So here we go. Once again, John tells us God is spirit. And if we are worshiping, we worship him in spirit and in truth. Now we jump to Ephesians and Paul says, Let me elaborate on this spirit thing for you. If you're being if you're a being of the spirit or if you're filled of the spirit, then you're gonna sing and make music, but that's gonna come from the heart. But also you're gonna give thanks, but not just give thanks for the things that you wanted. Or not even just give thanks for the good things, but give thanks always in everything. And he continues on with something else that's difficult as well. And says, submitting to one another. And and I can't imagine being in the church of Ephesians. All this stuff going on and you get this letter from Paul about saying, hey, be filled with the Spirit, be, be of the Spirit. I'm like, that sounds great. And then he lists the requirements of what that looks like. And they're like, man, Paul, this looks hard on the outside. 
for my carnal flesh, for my, my, my mortal being, for my fleshly attitude, this looks, looks hard. Maybe I can get to a point where I can, I can sing from my heart, make music from my heart. But you're not going to tell me that when Rome comes through and marching through, when the plague comes through and, and my family dies, when I, we can't pay your taxes and they take my children away from me, when they, when they do all these things, I'm supposed to thank them even then? And then you're now telling me I'm supposed to submit to one another as well? How can I do this, Paul? The key starts with it being of the Spirit. Right. Because in my carnality, I can't do it. Right. In my flesh, this is impossible for me to do. And that's why God says, step into the Spirit. Move away from the carnal flesh that ties you to this world. Then step into the Spirit that I am in. And you'll see how I'm able to do it. If you really truly read everything that Jesus did and viewed it from the sense that he was just man, you'd be like, how can this man do it? But he wasn't just man. He was just as much spirit, God, divine, as he was man. And through a relationship with him, we have access to that spirit as well. That he gives us access and strength to do this. But about the submitting to one another. A dangerous president has been set in our churches more and more over the past century. This president is that church, that God, that ministry, that worship is me-centered. What do I get out of it? How does it help me? And pastors give in to this as well. And we, we even push it, not even realizes it. As I, as I read through the scriptures, like, man, I did this the other day. We talked about going to... Help with the homeless ministry. And I said, if you come, you'll be blessed. What is that? That's me telling you how you'll benefit by doing something that God wants you to do. It's putting the focus on what you gain, not on what you give. It's not submitting to another. It's saying what's best for me. And that's a dangerous precedent to set because if you look at Scripture, you look at the way that Jesus led his life, and you look at the way that he taught his disciples, everything he did was putting himself, uh, putting others before himself. Submitting to others so that they could be helped, so that they can be, be grown, so that they could benefit from whatever they're going through. Submitting to one another. And here's something that, that's difficult. Well, just a second, just, just look at somebody next to you that's not your family, not your spouse or whatever, not your brother or sister. You know, look across the aisle. Nobody's looking. Uh, you know, look, look. Look around. Just find somebody. Focus in on them. Look at them for, while, while I finish this state. Come on. Work with me, guys. Okay? Come on. There you go. Look at somebody else's family. We know each other pretty good. Many of us have been going to church together. I've been here... Three or four? Three something. I know a lot of your stories. You know a lot of mine. You know a lot of each other's. Now think about their concerns. Think about the prayer requests they've brought up in the past months or, or years. Think about what you know they've faced because maybe they posted on Facebook or they talked to you in, in private. Submitting to one another means this. That their concerns, their prayer requests, the things that they are facing should be just as important, if not more so to you, than your own concerns and your own hardship. 
Once again, their concerns, their prayer requests, their hardships, what they're facing should be just as important to you if you're submitting to one another as your own issues, as your own problems, as your own struggles. Because look at Christ as a perfect example. When He is hanging on the cross, think of what He did. One, He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. What's that doing? That's submitting to one another. It's putting their needs, their salvation, their forgiveness before His own. He also goes and He looks at John. He says, John, your mother, mother, your son. What's He doing there? He's submitting to, to another. He's putting His mother's concerns, His mother's needs before His own. And we see that example. And you think, man, this man is on the cross dying an awful death. And he's putting the needs of his mother, the needs of those that are crucifying him before his own needs. That is the way that we should live our lives as well. That's the way that we are called to live our lives. If we are to live in spirit. In spirit. So that's what Paul tells us in Ephesians. But but John said to worship him in spirit and in truth. So what does it mean to be in truth? Well, let's go back to John. John 16, verse 13 says this. This is God talking. This is Jesus talking to them. He says, when the spirit of truth comes. This is the Holy Spirit. This is another name he uses for him. The spirit of truth comes. He's talking about when he dies and he goes, the spirit will come. So the spirit of truth is how he's referencing him here. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own, but He will speak whatever He hears. Basically, He's giving command of God, is what He's saying. He will also declare to you what is to come. Giving guidance going into the future. Okay? So this is the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So when John is saying that God is a a spirit, and if we're to worship Him, we must worship Him in spirit and in truth, then to worship in truth means to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It means to be obedient to the things of God, to the truth that God has laid out. And there's times in our lives where we can we have to solely rely on the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us. Maybe we're in a situation where we have to make a decision in that moment, and we don't have time to sit down and, and have a Bible study and, and, and go and reach out to our mentor, really spend a lot of time in prayer. We have to let the Holy Spirit just... Lead us in that moment. Maybe we're facing a difficult situation and we've read scriptures and and maybe so-and-so says, well, this scripture means this and and so-and-so says, well, you should do this and we're torn. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit to help lead us in our personal walk with Christ. But but in other situations, we have the Holy Scriptures left for us thousands of years ago to lead us through these scriptural truths. They're already there for us to turn to. To worship Him in truth, we must seek to be obedient. Be obedient in all things, whether it's led by the Holy Spirit in that area, or whether it's something that's told to us and written for us in Scripture thousands of years ago. We must be obedient to the Scriptures and the leadership and the commands of God. So this is truth. Man, there's a lot of times that we might be led away by untruths. Maybe it's bad theology, you know? 
Maybe it's things that, that we sing or that maybe we teach or maybe it's a, somebody that we listen to or something that we've read or, or maybe it's something that we've been, been poured into us before by other people. That's just bad theology. You can't worship God through bad theology. If you don't know the truth of who God is, then you're not worshiping God. You're worshiping this idol, basically, that you have set up of who you think God is, of how you've portrayed Him in your mind. So we must know the truth of God. And how do we know the truth of God? But through the Holy Spirit in Scripture. Laying it out very clearly. what Who God is, what He requires of us, what He asks of us, how to live a life like Him that is pleasing to Him. We must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And we look at these things, and, and we're just talking about worship here. But worship, like I said, is mentioned over 8,000 times. That's more times than mercy. That's more times than, than, than the power of God is mentioned. That's more times than, than many of these things. Than, than community is even mentioned is worship. So it's important. But it's important to do it right. Thankfully, Harper can't talk yet. And I can't. And so we haven't had this conversation with her yet. But I'm sure there will come a day where I tell her to do something. And she does it partway. Have you ever had a child do that? You know, maybe the child's a teenager, maybe they're a little one, maybe they're still an adult, whatever. But you say, hey, I need you to go do this for me. And they go and they do part of it. And then they come back. And you say, well, did you do that? And they say, well, I did this part of it. And then, I, and then you're like, well, that's not what I told you to do. I told you to do all of it. That's how we do worship. God has spoken clearly. We've seen here with the scripture, with, with other scriptures that talks about worship, like I said, 8,000 sometimes it mentions it. God is very clear about what he wants from us from worship. And we come and we'll say, well, we worship God today. And it's like, God's like, did you really? Because if I look at the way I told you to worship, and I look at the way you decided to worship, it's part of it. But it's not all of it. That's not just worship Halfway, or part of the way, or a little bit of worship. Let us worship in the true biblical way that God has told us to worship. So what is worship? What is it? I love this. In the Webster's Dictionary, we talked about how God, God is spirit, and if, he, uh, and if we worship him, we must worship him in spirit and in truth. Right? Okay. Webster's Dictionary in 1828, one of the first editions of it, states this, that to worship means to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. Worship means to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. Nothing about song, though you can do it through song. Nothing about music, though we can do it through music. Worship means to honor with extravagant love. You ever had somebody that's just been extravagant on you? That's just poured out extravagantly with you. When you first started dating that somebody, they had a little money and they were extravagant. Then you got married and it, it sucked up and it dried up real quick. But when you were first dating, it was extravagant. Right? You're smiling because you know it's true. Extravagant love means to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. Not partial submission. Extreme submission. That means it gets to the point where I can't breathe, I can't move, I can't live life unless you tell me to, God, because I am so submitted to you. 
that I'm relying on you, either through your Scripture or through your Holy Spirit, to lead me. I believe in you so much that everything I do revolves around you. And that means the songs that I sing, I sing from a place of extravagant love. I love you so much, Father, for what you've done, but extreme submission. And I submit to you because you are God. And I'm going to sing my pra- your praises because of that truth. If it's through the ministry that you have, if you serve with food pantry, you serve with our youth, or, or you serve some way on Sundays, or you serve in your community at some point, or you help others, that you do it from a place of extravagant love and extreme submission. That you extravagantly love people like you've been extravagantly loved by God. And that you submit to them like God has commanded you to submit, like you have submitted to God. Worship is not something that we just do on Sundays. We should never not be worshiping. You should never not be worshiping. In your homes, you should be worshiping God for the way you love your family and the way you serve each other. At your work, you should be worshiping God by the way that you extravagantly love Him and show that love for Him through your actions. Wherever you're going, if you're driving, you should be worshiping Him. Don't be getting upset at that other guy over there. You should be so focused on worship, you didn't understand that He cut you off because you're just too busy extravagantly loving your Savior. Worship should be something that we never... Stop doing. There'll be times we can't sing, but we still worship Him. And there'll be times that we don't have music, but we still have to worship Him. And there'll be times where maybe we, 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 we've been bound, we've been chained, like Paul and Silas were in the prison, and we can't do anything else. Maybe that's when we sing that we find a way to worship Him in all things, in all ways. We worship God because He is God. Not because He did this. Not because He answered your prayers. Not because He made things better for you. We worship God because He's God. Because if we begin to put any stipulation on His worship, when that stipulation isn't met, the worship stops. Amen? Same thing in our relationships. I love you. I love you till the day we die. Unless you stop bringing home the money. Or unless you start doing this. Or unless you start stop doing this. The stipulation's there when the stipulation's not met. And the love dries up. And that's how we worship God a lot of times. When the stipulation's not met, the worship stops. It's like we're trying to hold our worship for ransom. When you do this, God, I'll worship you again. But we worship God solely for the purpose that He is God. Just because He is. Just because we're so in awe and wonder of who He is that we have to worship Him. That we have to bend the knee to Him. That we have to raise a hand to Him. That we have to sing a song to Him. That we have to submit to Him and extravagantly love Him. We worship Him because He is God. So what is worship? Webster's Dictionary once again. And it lines just right up with what John says. Spirit and in truth. Extravagant love and extreme submission. Worship is to honor God. 
through extravagantly loving Him in every situation and extremely submitting to Him in every moment for the sole reason that He is God. Amen. But the thing is, worship should impact every area of our life. It should impact the way that we treat our families. It should impact the way that we treat things of ministry, treat things of church. It should impact the way that we sing. It should impact the way that we pray. It should impact the way that we talk to other people about God. Worship is an important aspect of our relationship with God that I have failed to understand the significance of and understand how important it is to me and should be to me. And I've failed to live it out in my life. And by that, I've failed to model that. For you. And I failed to represent that to you. So today I want us to start anew by worshiping in the true biblical sense of the word. And that means we never stop. That means from the moment we leave today to the time that we come tomorrow, there's not a moment that you've not been in a presence and a state of worship internally with God. You say, that's crazy talk. They didn't say Jesus was normal. They didn't call the Christians average Joes. They didn't say, well, that's just, they're just regular folk. They said they're strange, and they said they're peculiar. Why is that? Because they lived in a constant state of worship. And if you do that, they're going to think you're strange. If you spent every day, every time, if you went to work yesterday when you were working, and all you did was talk about Donna, they're going to think you're strange. I mean, I don't care how great Donna is. She's hilarious sometimes. You know, I love it. But if you spent every moment talking about Donna, they're going to be like, that man, he don't stop talking about his wife. It don't matter what he's doing. He takes a bite of his sandwich and he talks about Donna. Man, she makes us a good sandwich today. We should have that same mentality of I'm never going to stop worshiping Christ. And they might think you're strange. They might think you're weird. But Christ is pleased. And that's the only way he'll get the worship and the praise that he deserves if we have that mindset about his worship. Amen. I'm thankful for worshiping. Man, worship is, is, is a, you know, when we limit it to the idea of music, we limit the idea of, of what it looks like, if it's a modern, traditional, when it, you know, and that's been a big, big thing in, in churches in the past 50 years. But worship is so much more. And the enemy, when he can make us so, so focused on such a small part of it, we get blinded to the rest of what it means. That's what he wants to do. So let us look at the grand picture of worship and then let our worship that we have for God intersect and impact everything that we do. Man. So once again, if you want to write it down or if you want to, I'll, I'll tell you again, we'll put it out there. But worship means to honor God with extravagant love and extreme submission just because He's God. Not because He did anything for you today, but just because... He's God. And that can look different for you today than it does tomorrow. It can look different for you in this season of life as it does the next season of your life. But it should, we should always be honoring God with our extravagant love and our extreme submission to Him. Amen.